this is Outside the Box. Standing by to join me are Executive Director Mike Learakis and Business Development Strategist Joe Greenwald. They're joining us from Abound Food Care. And as I mentioned, I heard about them, I heard about Abound actually in the paper, and I was so interested in finding out what they're doing in Orange County, and it really coincides with my care initiative. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, Mike, you and I had talked a couple of days ago um, because a lot of people are not familiar with the Bound Food Care. Could you give us a little brief synopsis of when so, it started and what you do? Yeah, I can give you a little history. It was formed in 2012 by the public health officer for the County of Orange, Dr. Eric Handler. And it was an idea that we, if we could recapture all the excess food that we throw away and divert that food and get it to nonprofit agencies that feed people, the numbers tell you that we could literally end hunger. So it started with that simplistic notion. Uh, I joined about, a, I think, a few months after its uh, inception as a volunteer. I'm a you know lifelong food industry guy, third generation restaurateur. Um, and I value food a little differently than most people. Um, I always say that everything I've ever had in life has come from food. So to me, it's not just life-sustaining in its form, but it's life-sustaining in that it's provided me with a living. Um, and to me, it's just, it's also money. So if we could take a food industry perspective to this, we would have far more success in recovering excess food and getting it to nonprofit agencies. That's how it started. We built a coalition across broad spectrums, public, private, nonprofit, any player, any organization that thought that they could assist us or could uh, work in this area was uh, a stakeholder that we engaged and we worked with. And um, over the years now, since 2015, just in Orange County, uh, we've recovered with our coalition partners uh, over 100 million pounds of excess edible food that prior to us went to landfill. Wow. Um, so we're That's very a proud huge of huge number. Mm -hmm. yeah. Amazing. Now you have a relationship with the food banks. That's one relationship, but that's a yeah, pretty strong absolutely. one. Yeah. yeah, the food banks were, uh, we have two food banks in Orange County, uh, Second Harvest Food Bank, which is part of the Feeding America Network, and then mm -hmm. Orange County Food Bank, which is part of Community Action Partnership. Um, <clears throat> both of them were collaboratively with us. They were both founding members of our coalition. And that was really the, the key to start with is getting all these nonprofits, especially the large ones, the food banks, to understand that if we could combine our resources and our efforts, that we would be far more effective. Sure. So, Joe, I know you recently joined Abound, correct? correct. What is, what is your ago. role at, at um, Abound? Well, you know, I joined, I've known Mike for a number of years, and I'm lucky enough to be at a point in life where I don't have to do what I used to do and thought I would be golfing right now. But um, Mike lured me into this. And, you know, for me, it's really just helping out where I can. You know, I've watched what was Waste Not Us, now it's Abound um, grow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think there's opportunity to, for it to, to do a lot more beyond just our current boundaries. And so, you know, I, where I, I've been asked to help really is around planning and um, a lot of administrative type things. But, you know, it's exciting because it really hits two different things, which, you know, we've, we, we've chatted here a little bit about the impact of recovering food and the impact on people's lives. Um, you know, at the same time, it's also impacting climate, which is kind of one of my, my pet things is, we, you know, we've got to do better at that. So, it's really an opportunity to help an organization that's addressing two major social issues that we're dealing with today. Um, and, and so that's kind of how I landed here. 
You know, it's uh, it's been very interesting for me because ironically, I heard about Abound after uh, my donut story, which I shared with you a little bit. I So I'm going to share with the listeners. I was with my daughter. We were trying to get her money back from a local Dunkin' Donuts. They had messed up her order. order. The computers were down. We showed up at like 5.30 one night. And I said, I'm sorry, we don't have a receipt. And they said, oh, it's fine, but you know, we're closed. And I said, we just want credit back. So this really nice kid, I shouldn't say kid, uh, 20 something year old, he said, you know what, I'll give you a credit. And would you like some donuts? I said, no, no, that's fine. I don't, I don't eat donuts. And uh, he said, would you take them and feed the homeless? So my daughter and I were talking yesterday and that could have gone in two ways. No, no, that's okay. Or absolutely. So I did the absolutely part. So we're taking the donuts, we're driving around. And I said to my daughter, why don't we just the, the next morning, find an organization, I'll donate the two dozen donuts. So that's what I did. And then I went back to the Dunkin' Donuts. And I said, you know, if you wanted me to do this again, I will. And now I've been doing it for almost a month. <laughs> I go about four or five times um, a week. I go at closing. And uh, the employees are so kind and so wonderful. I mean, I feel it's been wonderful on so many levels to connect with uh, a younger generation that really wants to do something meaningful instead of seeing the food going into the trash and it was breaking their heart. And so I show up sometimes with my daughters or one daughter and we take everything. And then yesterday I drove around probably for two hours distributing. I went to Mary's Kitchen, and um, my aunt told me about that place. Mary's Kitchen donated there. I went to Mika's Way uh, that I had mentioned to you, Mike, and I went to um, Colette's Children's Home. And, you know, at first I'm thinking, I have so much work to do. I have so many things to do. But then I'm thinking, come on, look what you're doing. You're, you're feed, helping to feed people on a Monday. This is so essential. And there were so many lessons out of the day. And I'm sure both of you have felt that way. Yeah, first yeah. of all, congratulations, you know, Janine. You're yeah. what we call a food runner. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, a, it was kind of a surprising twist in my life, you know, the unexpected, but I could not say no. You know, yeah. we hear this all the it's time really... for years now. And Joe, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say, you know, it's, it's, it's really, cool, you know, and, and there are a lot of people that want to do that type of thing that, that do that type of thing. I think, you know, where it's interesting for me being new to, to this sector is how do you make it so that it's easy for restaurants to do that? You know, and Mike can talk to this, but you know, there, there are challenges that they have to worry about from reputation and food handling. And so, you know, the, the element we can add in, um, because there's a lot of food types that are, more perishable than, than donuts. Yes. Um, yes. And then it have to be handled exactly right. You know, and that's where it's fun. It's been fun learning from Mike because there's so much to um, how that gets handled to protect the restaurant and make it so that they want to, to participate in this. Well, let's talk about that because Mike, as I mentioned, one organization asked me for sandwiches and I thought, Ooh, perishable. What do I do? And could I even go in as an individual to an, an Albertsons or somewhere and say, hey, can you donate some sandwiches at the end of the day to the homeless? I mean, how does that work? Yeah, well, well fortunately, in California also, we have had a, a statewide effort um, 
to reduce the amount of organic waste that goes into landfills because it becomes a methane gas. It's a known climate change pollutant. So the state has um, offered up legislation that requires um, food service operators or food generators of a certain size to participate in food recovery. So in other words, they are now obligated to donate all of their excess edible food, which is wonderful. But the reality is that the food industry never really needed a reason to donate food. They needed a reason to be able to do it and make sure that their brand was protected. Sure. So in other words, um, going back 35 years, I would only participate by donating my excess food to a nonprofit. You mentioned one of them, Mary's Kitchen, who we've worked with for 30 years now, donating my food because I knew they could handle it correctly. Um, so when you ask food service operators all over the country why they don't donate their excess food, you'll always hear a variety of answers, first of which is liability concerns. In reality, that's seldom the real reason. Uh, there's federal Good Samaritan laws that are in effect that provide liability protection. Bill Emerson Act nationally and California has a strength of law. Um, but it was always about brand protection. If I am a donor, I'm going to donate my excess food and it goes to an agency or it's not handled correctly and it leads to a foodborne illness, then all food has to be traced in the U.S. It's traced back to my operation. I can't unring that bell. I can't. I mean, that's just a hit to my brand that I can't take. Sure. So what we're trying to do in, through people like yourself is to provide the training and the resources so that the food industry knows when they donate food, it's gonna be handled safely. It's gonna be directed to a nonprofit agency. And that agency is gonna use that food to feed people. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of nuances. There's a lot of complexities that go along with that. But ultimately that's where we end up getting to where we wanna be, which is real reduction in food waste and a real reduction in food insecurity. Yeah. Well, you know, there's another thing about people like myself getting involved and helping with what you do. My daughter said it perfectly. She says, you know, I didn't choose to be born into the family with two parents, a roof over my head, safe community. Why did I get so fortunate? Whereas you go and you drive somewhere else and people are living on the street. She says, I feel like it's our obligation to help to do something because those people didn't choose their circumstances. And what can we do to help because we're able to help? Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, you know, we, and that's the prevailing sentiment we find with people in the nonprofit sector that want to help out. It's either uh, comes from two areas. It's, it comes from one side, which is I'm very blessed and fortunate to have been born where I've been born at a time I've been born in, or it comes from someone who's experienced that adversity yes. has overcome it and knows what it's like to walk in those shoes and wants to help out. Yeah. You know, I, when I went to Mary's kitchen, I, I didn't know much about it. Okay. And you're familiar, familiar with Mary's kitchen. I grew up in Manhattan when I was five years old. I remember we drove through the Bowery this was the seventies. And I remember peeking out the back window, looking around and being a little nervous, right? A lot of homeless people. I don't know if you're that familiar with Manhattan, but um, yesterday I felt perfectly comfortable because these are people who are going through, I don't know what, you know, uh, they've been laid off. Maybe they had suffered from mental illness, they, whatever, they've been displaced for who knows what reason, but they're people. 
So I felt like, let me just go there. And I'm, I'm planning to go back because I could see that they really appreciated the food donations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. It, um, you know, when you look at um, through COVID, especially it's sometimes it's easy to identify food insecurity. We see somebody is homeless. We can assume maybe they have inconsistent food supply, but uh, COVID really put a spotlight on food insecurity for what it is. And in, and in most cases, you don't know what it is. You can't identify it. Um, you know, we've, we've had conversations with public health people, with first responders, sheriff's department, um, fire department, where they'll say, hey, in times of crisis, you have no idea who's food insecure. And, and there were some great examples. Uh, when the financial crisis hit in 2009, uh, there was one city that led the county in suicides. And it was people who were living beyond their means. But these are people that um, you would never identify as having been struggling because they have a nice home, they have nice mm-hmm. cars. The reality is, as we found out during COVID, when adversity strikes, what's the first thing you, you find yourself lacking? The ability to get food. Right. Um, you may still have a great car, a really nice car, because that's on a lease. You can't walk away from that or else you, have, you do irreparable damage to, exactly. your, you know, to your credit. Yeah. So you try to hold on to that normalcy and typically... Uh, adults with families, they'll take care of their kids and they go without. And right. so many of our volunteers, so many people that help out experience food insecurity. We realized I grew up in a house with a, with a chef, you know, and with two parents, but you know, there were times in the month when the food budget ran short and you know, you eat differently because of that. Sure. And, and again, if we have all this unlimited access to to nutritious food, there's really no reason for us to have people going without it. Right. And I've also heard stories in the pandemic of college students sleeping in their cars and they have food insecurity. Joe, I think you wanted to add something to this. Well, I was just going to add something to what Mike said. You know, you mentioned nutritious food and that's, that's also something that should be called out because historically, you know, when you look at the food insecure, this was, this was new to me, is one of the biggest problems is actually obesity. And when you think about what's happened in this country, you know, with, with the way we've subsidized corn. So everything that is inexpensive to produce in this country has corn syrup in it. Right. And so you know, when you're up against, you know, making those decisions, what am I going to pay? And also if I want to feed someone, I'm going to go for the less expensive stuff, which, you know, unfortunately in, in where we live is the most, is the least nutritious. Sure. And I think that's one of the objectives here too, is you know, as Mike said, it's not just providing people food. That's been, I think, the model historically um, for a lot of places, but it's really providing nutritious food because if you're not eating well, it's going to create a whole bunch of other problems in your life sure. from health to be, being able to go get on your feet. So that's another yeah. component that, that we look at. You know, it's funny. I did ask the donut store, can I also get bagels and croissants? Because not everybody's going to want donuts. So I've been doing that. And then it led to another bagel store, Einstein donating. So I'm mm-hmm. conscious of that, but you know, they do, the employees do know that the food gets thrown out. So if the donuts are getting tossed, I'm going to take them because that might be somebody's first meal of the day, only meal of the day. Yeah. I don't know. Well, Jenny, I just, it's really interesting. You mentioned that. I'm glad you guys brought that up because we, we see this all over the country Yeah, and we've gone from one extreme to the other. You know, we've had in some areas where they'll say, you know, we're not going to accept anything that's not healthy. Well, that's not what we're here to do. We're not here to provide them or make them have access to only nutritious food. It's to give them the same choices we all have. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something 
wonderful about a kid having a donut every once in a while. Right. But what we're really looking at is um, in the U.S., the emergency food supply, for the most part, consists of non-perishable food. Non-perishable food, canned, dry, is loaded with sodium. So oftentimes, especially with seniors, many of them have, you know, sodium restricted diets. So if you get a senior citizen that runs short on money the last week of the month, and they have, let's say they have a a heart condition, they have a low sodium diet they're supposed to be following. They're now faced with a quandary. You know, do I just go hungry or do I eat this emergency food, this non-perishable food that will sustain me, but it also exacerbates my medical conditions. Ironically, through Abound Food Care, we've developed this network of food repurposing kitchens, and they'll take bulk donated food from distributors, processors, manufacturers, growers, and they create meals out of them. That's they great. Vacuum, yes, they vacuum seal them, they blast freeze them. These meals can now be directed to these uh, individuals that have medically tailored meal uh, requirements. Mm-hmm. So they're no longer forced to have this you know, decision of eat something that's not healthy or eat nothing at all. That's where we're giving access to nutritious food. But the whole goal is to give them the same access that all of us have. Sure. That makes sense. Now, let's say people want to get involved on an individual level. You mentioned training because that I'm interested. Is, is this something I could do? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you go to aboundfoodcare.org, you're going to see a a volunteer uh, page. From that, you can go onto our tech platform. The tech platform that we use, and and we advocate nationally for use of technology to make the process more efficient. But if you go on our tech platform, it's called ChowMatch. That's the one we're using. You can sign up as a volunteer. You're going to get... um, a little tutorial on the basics of food safety for your role, meaning you are picking up food and transporting it. Here's everything you need to know about food safety. Time and temperature are critical. So, you know, you need to go from where you pick that food up. You need to make sure the temperature or you'll log the temperature, but you want to get to the receiving agency as quickly as possible. And you want to check the temperature there as well. That ensures that the food is safe and that also we're protecting the brand of the donor. In other words, Donor now is confident that, you know, that volunteer didn't run a bunch of errands in, on a hot August afternoon right. before they showed up at the food pantry. They went directly from point A to point B. Right. So if you get that tutorial, you'll then take a real quick questionnaire. You've got to get, I believe, 23 out of 25 questions right. Take it as often as you want. Okay. But once you get that, then that you now have the, the understanding, the training of food safety. We would then provide, if you're going to pick up perishable food, the supplies that you need, the materials to safely do it. Typically, it's a thermal bag. Could be an infrared thermometer also to check temperatures. But you're now a trained volunteer. And at your own convenience, you can make runs wherever you want, whenever they're available, whenever it's convenient for you. It's almost like being an Uber or Lyft driver for food. Um, <laughs> Only you're not getting paid. <laughs> can you decide, like, can I decide, you know what, I'm going to take it to Mika's way or I'm going to take it to Mary's kitchen. Can I decide where I take it to? You, you can have input, but sometimes those, those agencies uh, may not need that food. So the okay. reality of the nonprofit sector or how these nonprofit pantries work is heavily reliant on volunteers, first of all. So sometimes there's days where they just don't have the help, so they can't receive anything, Mm -hmm. or sometimes they'll get an influx of donations. So at that moment, they don't need that food. The tech platform will connect to the various nonprofits, all of them that participate, the the nonprofits that can utilize it. 
Most importantly, that nonprofit through the tech platform is claiming that food. They're saying, yes, mm. I can use it, bring it down. But there's still a lot of phone work that's involved. There's a, still a lot of us double checking that uh, that agency or that pantry can use it. So yes, if you have one or two or three organizations that you have a passion uh, for participating with, you can choose to only make those runs to those um, uh, nonprofit agencies alone. The other thing to consider is the food safety part of it. Shortest route is always the fastest route and the, and the sure, safest sure. route. So does the nonprofit that I drop food off to, do they get into the app or do I handle the app? They get into the app as well. So okay, good. There, there's three components, the donor mm-hmm. and the recipient okay. and then the logistics tool, meaning the food runner. Sometimes our food runners are food distribution companies who are picking up with refrigerated vehicles. That's great. So in, in Anaheim, uh, we, with, when Anaheim School District started, uh, we actually used Yellow Cab to go from the schools to the after-school program. They were bonded. Their uh, Department of Justice screened. They can go on the campuses. They don't touch the food. The train staff loads it up. The driver just drives it to the nonprofit agency where that train staff removes it. So there's a lot of different logistics solutions out there. That's great. Do you have programs in schools where you're teaching kids how to cook healthy or, or doing any cooking at schools? Yeah, schools around the county are offering healthy cooking classes. We do have in Orange a really unique program, and it's, uh, it's utilization of a middle school, a charter middle school, uh, Santiago, that, ha- that has a, a culinary program. So they have a culinary advisor who's a chef. She teaches sustainability. She teaches healthy cooking and they repurpose food. They make it into meals and they distribute that either to families of the uh, students Mm -hmm. or to a nonprofit down the street. The beauty of it is these seventh and eighth graders may be developing a passion for culinary. They then will go to the high school down the street that has a program and then to a community college. Mm -hmm. So these uh, facilities can also teach parents and the community how to handle food how to treat food how to cook safe or um, nutritiously sorry my alarm it's okay um i wanted to add to this the reason i asked is because when i was growing up i was basically living off of mcdonald's maybe twinkies for breakfast etc etc i was pretty depressed i did not feel great and that led to not doing well in school. I have very little attention span. So when I hear what's going on in schools, it makes me really happy. It makes a big difference. It, it sure does. Uh, you know, when we are not getting the right type of food and we're food insecure, we are not as good at what we do, regardless of what it is. Mm-hmm. So food security makes better employees. It makes better students. It makes better people. Um, so it's, it's, it's vital to us. Yeah. This what you do really fits into my care initiative. And I just want to touch on this briefly. So I came up with this initiative during the pandemic. Uh, I was part of, of a fellowship I might've told you about. Uh, it was the Age Boom Academy at Columbia University. And this care model came to me because I was thinking about the power of connection. And so what you do, I think about, you know, let's say a volunteer is going through a tough period in their life. They're going through something. When when you step out of that something and you go do something for somebody else, you can't help but be lifted, right? To be of service to others. So I think that's incredible. So my care initiative is this, it's power of connection, attention to mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual health, resilience, teaching resilience is so key, especially now, 
and education. So education could be talking about ageism, sexism, homelessness, any anything, any social issue. So I love what you're doing and this fits so well. And I feel like it's something to share with kids of all ages. Yeah, I've got to share with you. Uh, we were invited several years back to uh, uh, introduce our model as a way of addressing food insecurity in the state of Mississippi. And they looked at all these various social determinants of health as a wheel. And these various social determinants were all spoke. So hunger was a spoke, mm -hmm. housing and homelessness was a spoke, education, job training, transportation, et cetera. Um, <clears throat> once we got out there, once they implemented the model, they came back to us, they go, you know what? Food actually isn't a spoke. It's the hub of the wheel yeah. because it's the center of everything. Sure. So, uh, you know, what we're seeing even in Orange County now is that there's a desire to have this, um, you know, continuum of care, meaning people have to eat instead of taking them food so to sustain them a day or two. Let's get them to where the food is at and where food is at. Let's have access to mental health counseling, screening, yeah. uh, chemical dependency, um, you know, training, um, financial training. Let's give them those tools to address those root causes of poverty. Mm -hmm. And then also what ultimately leads to homelessness. Sure. Absolutely. Anything else you'd like people to know about this organization? Joe, what do you think? Well, you know, I think, I think you've covered it well, you know, and it, it does fit. I, I like the description of your, of your CARES program. Um, it, it does line up well there. You know, I, I would echo what Mike said, you know, I, interesting coming into this as, as more the new person that has a, a different type of background. I've taken to reading a lot of books um, around it. And, you know, I'm reading one right now that really talks about, it's looking at a number of cities across the country and how food has been the central component of getting them out of whatever, you know, social challenges they're having. So it sure. is really important. And, you know, and, and I think intuitively we know it, you know, I, I think the other thing I do think to our earlier conversation, a lot of people want to volunteer and help people have it in their, in their hearts, but sometimes we're a little bit nervous about it. You know, well, am I going to screw it up? Do they need me? Where do I fit in? You know, and I, and I think, you know, I encourage people don't, don't be hesitant about it. Jump in. Um, you can make a difference. Right. I actually a long time ago volunteered at the food banks in Orange County with my daughters. Uh, I met a dad the other day who was dropping off must've been five enormous bags of garbage bags filled with bagels. And he told me that his son started a nonprofit at 15. They helped him do the paperwork. He's 17 now. He's going to come on my show. And he started this zero waste initiative and he has volunteers and it's unbelievable. So yes, I would encourage people to get involved and do good because it's nice to do things around the holidays, but it's even better to do it throughout the year. Yeah. And really the bottom line is, you know what, we're always better when we can combine our efforts to get, you know, and that's really why every, every person can help in some way, but, and then the more people we have working collaboratively, there's no stopping what we can do. You're right. Can you give your website? Sure. It's aboundfoodcare.org. So <laughs> go to it, visit it, uh, reach out to us either through the platform or through the toll-free number that's uh, listed on there. Um, but reach out to us. We'd be more than happy to either have us help us or connect you to one of those 309 nonprofit agencies working in Orange County right now. There's always wow. a spot for you to help out somewhere. 309. And that's actually down from uh, our pre-COVID number of 500, but there are uh, over 300 right now operating in, in Orange County. Fantastic. 
Well, I want to thank you both so much, Joe and Mike. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you.